So we have come to week 15 in the story. Uh, this week we're talking about how God talks to us, how he talked to the people. Hold on. But I better take this. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of busy. You know, it's, I'm speaking to them for you. Oh. Okay, I'll tell them. All right, thanks. Uh, you know, <clears throat> that was God. <laughs> and he, he had a few tips for me, things he didn't want me to forget. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if God could call you on the cell phone? But God uh, didn't have cell phones back in the time of the Old Testament. Actually, he could have made them so, but he didn't. He didn't choose to speak to his people that way. He spoke to his people through the prophets. Now, today, God speaks to us through the words written down. He worked through people to compose the scriptures that we have, the Bible. And he also works through his Holy Spirit. But we have a choice when anybody calls us. We look at that phone and, and we have a choice to accept the call or to let it go to voicemail don't we? We have a choice to pick up. And just like that, we have a choice to hear God speaking to us today. The people in the Old Testament times, particularly the latter half of the Old Testament, uh, there were or books recorded about the prophets, men who were called by God to be spokesmen for God to the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, and the people of Judah. Six prophets were called to speak to Israel before it was conquered by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. Nine prophets were called to speak to the people of Judah before it too was conquered in 586. Now, those nations would not have been conquered had it not been for their consistent refusal to listen to the messengers of God, to the message of God. So also today, as we study the prophets, we can hear God's words to us that still apply today. We can hear God's message. We have a choice. Are we going to answer? Are we going to put him on hold? Are we going to let it go to voicemail? Are we going to ignore it or make it a lesser priority in our lives? You see, the prophets tell us uh, stories, a message that is consistent yesterday, today, and forever. Today, we're going to focus on one of those prophets. His name, Hosea. Hosea's story, his message is one of amazing love. His message is a supernatural message. It could only happen with God involved. It could only happen with a unique character, the mercy, the love of God involved. Hosea's story begins, as most of the books do, in chapter 1. In chapter 1, it tells us of a supernatural pursuit. In fact, it's chapters 1 through 3. But we're going to look at selected portions today. It tells us of a supernatural pursuit by God of us, a supernatural pursuit uh, by Hosea, the prophet of his wife. We read in Hosea chapter 1, a portrait of unfaithfulness. It reads like this, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children to her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Now, different versions read uh, the New King James and 
uh, ESV and those, different things. Uh, one says, uh, uh, go marry a wife of whoredoms, another wife of harlotry. Uh, scholars have different opinions about this, but there is no question that what God calls Hosea to do, it's actually a portrait of God with his people, Israel. When it says, go marry a wife, I believe, this is my take on it. When it go, go marry a wife, uh, promiscuous, the one who has the propensity to be unfaithful, he's saying, you go marry somebody who's chaste, who's a virgin right now, but understand, she's going to be unfaithful. Just like God continually took care of Israel. He brought them out of slavery in Egypt, as we talked about through the story. He's blessed them and made them a great nation through King David and King Solomon. And then he splits them apart because of the rebellion of his kings that followed. And he continually gives them a chance to be faithful to him, to put him first. Yet the people of Israel and Judah, they continually keep going after other gods. They continually, instead of being faithful to God, instead of putting God first, they continue to do what they own. They want to do selfishly. They continue to, to put their own needs first instead of God. In other words, they continue to put God on hold. It's a portrait of unfaithfulness. You see that right here. Go marry this woman, Hosea. Go marry Gomer. So he married Gomer, daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, those of us a certain age, we can't read that name without smiling. We think of a certain marine private, Gomer Powell, USMC. If you haven't seen that, go YouTube it, young folks. It's a pretty funny show. Shazam! You know, so, but this is her name, Gomer. And she conceived and bore him a son. Very important to see that exact language. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I'll put an end to the kingdom of Israel. And that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth, not for him a daughter, gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Loruhamah, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horse or horsemen, horses or horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. And the Lord said to him, uh, go call him lo which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I'm not your God. I think the language is precise. The first child was Hosea and Gomer's together. The last two were not. And their names, instructive. In the Bible, in the Old Testament particularly, people are named with a message. They're named with a reason. It describes God's unwillingness to force himself on people. He wants these people, Israel, and these people, Judah, to be his people. He wants them to be his sons and daughters, but he's not going to make them. And just as Gomer is unfaithful to her husband, Hosea, so the people of Israel are over again and again. So that sometimes mirrors our life. God gives us all a free will, a choice in life. Who 
or what we're going to put first. Who or what we're going to be faithful to. And that free will God does not force on us. He allows us to choose. And just as Gomer chooses to put herself first, her own fleshly needs first, sometimes we make those choices as well. But understand this, God continues to pursue us anyway. I think because of that, uh, we need to understand that for our choices that are selfish in nature, for our choices to do things God doesn't want us to do, there are consequences. The Bible calls those choices of things we don't want to do, or God doesn't want us to do, he calls those sin. And sin brings consequence, not always immediately, but it sets in motion consequences, negative, that we don't want to experience. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, the consequences of sin is death. Consequences, Gomer, for your unfaithfulness will be a lack of self-esteem, will be you separating yourself uh, from this man who loves you, it will bring you great pain and hurt and heartache. So, death is not always just physical and eternal. Our sin will bring us pain and hurt and heartache. But there's an option. There's a gift from God. We need to see that. And then Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God can they not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The problem is we don't always see the immediate effects of our sin, of our selfishness. Uh, Gomer, I'm sure, enjoyed the attentions of another man for a time, uh, but she soon would see different. So also, our sin feels good in the moment. It feels good when we're doing it, but it always has consequences. What is sown will come up. There is a true portrait of unfaithfulness here, in this marriage between Hosea and Gomer, there's a portrait of unfaithfulness that Hosea, as a prophet, was trying to speak to the people, saying, if you don't put God first, bad things are going to happen. And so he says that to us today. But not only is this a portrait of unfaithfulness, it's a story of persistent love. It is a supernatural pursuit. It only could happen from otherworldly means. It only could happen because of the amazing love of God. In Hosea 3, 1, it says this, The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. What is the natural human reaction to someone being unfaithful? It's surely not, Go, show your love to your wife again. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. In other words, God continually, he persistently loved his people even though they chased after other gods. Even though they worshipped other gods. And so today I tell you this, if you hear God's message to you that there are things in your life that you're doing that are going to bring up terrible consequences, you need to understand that that persistent love of God is still after you today. Psalm 23, 6 says this, surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. Now, that word follow actually in Hebrew reads, it should say pursue. Your goodness 
and your love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Maybe you spent some time away from the Lord, and you've noticed that he doesn't let you go. You notice that he continues to show you through signs, through the people coming into your life, that God's not letting you go, and he still wants you to be his. Surely his goodness and love are pursuing you. You see, God has a love for us that cannot be explained in human terms. It is supernatural. It's amazing. Ephesians 2, 4 says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great unconditional love for us, God is rich in mercy. That means today that you are not unforgivable. It means today that you are not unsalvageable. It means today that God has not given up on you. It means today that God wants to, as best he can, negate, take away the consequences of your sin. Certainly the Bible tells us that the consequence of eternal death can be taken away. As we come back to God, as we become his sons and his daughters, the way God makes that happen both in Hosea and through his New Testament, is a supernatural purchase. A supernatural purchase. In Hosea 3, 2, it says this, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. What happens between the lines here is this. Gomer leaves Hosea. She goes off and shacks up with another guy. And she has two kids with him. And... She turns away from God. Well, that guy, over time, gets done with her. And this is a patriarchal society. The women really have no rights. The guy gets tired of her. And so he doesn't divorce her. He puts her up for sale in the public market. In the center of town, he puts her on the block. He doesn't want her anymore. And so God says to Hosea, I want you to take your money. And I want you to go buy her back. In the Bible, there's a word that we see over and over called redemption. It literally means the price paid to give a slave his or her freedom. The price paid to get that person from the ownership of one and to set them free. That's what we're seeing modeled here. Hosea's great love for his wife. Through... God's channeling his supernatural love through Hosea. He goes to buy his wife, his unfaithful, his adulterous wife. He goes to buy her freedom, to buy her back. Is that not amazing? Yet God does the same for me and you as well. Now you need to notice that in Exodus it tells us the price for a slave, the price for redemption was 30 shekels of silver. I don't know if you caught it there. He says the buyer for 15 shekels. Sin always brings blows, consequence to our self-esteem. Sin always brings a reduced view, a corrupted or perverted view of ourselves. 
It always catches up to us. It always brings its pain and its heartache. She's there on the block, and Hosea, her husband, goes to buy her back. This little boy, he built a sailboat. He had it all fixed up. He tarred it so it'd be waterproof. He painted it. He made a sail for it along with a little mast. He created this boat and and went to the lake one day to to try it out. He put it on the lake right at the shore, and and sure enough, a wisp of breeze uh, filled the sail, and it started to to sail. It started to, to float, and it floated, and suddenly before the boy knew it, the wind picked up, and and it started going faster away from him out to the center of the lake. And he waded in trying to catch it, but he couldn't catch up to it. And he watched, hoping the breeze would change and it would bring the, the boat back closer to the shore where he could get it. But it didn't happen. Went farther and farther away until he couldn't see it anymore. Well, sometime later, he was going through town. He went by the secondhand store and, and saw there in the window his boat. He knew it was his boat. He went in and, and looked. Sure enough, his initials where he painted them, they were there on the keel of the boat. He goes to the owner and he says, that's my boat. He walked to the window and picked it up and, and started to leave with it. The owner said, wait, wait, I paid for that boat. You can't just walk out with it. It's mine. The boy said, no, it's mine. See, there's my initials on it. Well, I'm sorry, son. If you want it, you got to buy it. The boy didn't have any money, so he worked hard for the next couple of months. Finally, he had enough. He had the price for the boat. As he left the store holding the boat close to him, he was heard saying, You're my boat. You're twice my boat. First, you're my boat because I made you. And second, you're my boat because I bought you. God says to each of us, I made you. And I will buy you your freedom. I will buy you a new identity. I will buy you a new future. First Peter chapter 1 says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed. You were redeemed. You were purchased from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish, our defect. God's price to set us free could not be paid in monetary terms. It had to be by the sacrifice of his lamb, his son. That says to each of us that he wants us to be his son or his daughter. He's willing to forgive us supernaturally. He's willing to pursue us supernaturally. He's willing to purchase us supernaturally. And he doesn't stop there. He wants us to have a supernatural purpose. He wants us to understand that there is a life for us that's bigger than ourselves. There is a life for us if we will turn away from selfishness and self-centeredness and instead give ourselves to him come back and allow us to be transformed and made into who he wants us to be, that he can do amazing things through us. A supernatural purpose is 
the message of Hosea as well, verse 3 of chapter 3. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. It should say, anymore. And I will behave the same way toward you. In other words, you need to turn away from your self-destructive tendencies. You need to turn away from doing what you want to do. And instead, put me first. Hosea says that to his wife. By the way, great marriage tip. Put your spouse, their needs before yourself. And change. Be different. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 puts it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Friends, if any of you knew me, in my teens, uh, you probably wouldn't be here at this church, really. I tell people all the time, I mean, I don't judge you because I've done everything wrong just about you can do. But the great supernatural message of the prophets of all of Scripture is this, that God can do away with the old. He can wipe away the sin. He can wipe away a lot of the consequences. And he can take us who are flawed. He can take us cracked vessels. And if we allow ourselves to be his and devoted to his purposes, if we will desire to serve him and let him teach us through his word and lead us through his spirit, if we will listen to him when he talks to us, then God can do amazing things. The old has gone away. The new has come. It can be the same for all of us. You see, God's story is, should, and is supposed to be for each of us a transformation. It's turning away from the old. Instead, allowing God to live in us and through us. That was Hosea's message. That was the prophet's message. Be faithful to me and I will do amazing things through you. Chief of those amazing accomplishments is this, that God would come to live in each person. Again, in Corinthians, this time in 1 Corinthians, it says this, chapter 6, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? God wants, instead of us being driven by our selfish needs, instead to be uh, holding places into temples for him. You're not your own. You were bought at a price, redemption, supernatural purpose. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. God has a supernatural purpose for each one of us. The question is, are we hearing his message? The question is, are we listening to him? The question is, are we done with the excuses? The question is, Will we be faithful to him as he is faithful to us? When A.J. Gordon was a preacher of a church in Boston, he met a young boy in front of the sanctuary one day. This young boy was carrying a rusty cage, which there were several birds flittering about. The preacher said, son, where'd you get those birds? He said, I trapped them out in the field. The preacher said, what are you going to do with them? The bull boy said, I'm going to play with them. 
Then I'll just get, I guess I'll feed them to the old cat we have at home. When the preacher offered to buy them, the boy said, Mister, you don't want them birds. They're just little old wild birds and they don't even sing. The preacher said, Well, I'll give you two dollars for the cage and the birds. This was quite a few years ago. The boy said, Okay, it's a deal, but you're making a bad bargain. The preacher talked about this in one of his sermons, and he said, that little boy told me those birds were not songbirds, but when I released them and winged their way toward heaven, I could hear them singing, and I swear they were saying, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. Hold on. Yeah, I told them, they know you haven't given up on them. They know you love them. They're listening. Thank you. Talk to you later. Fathers, we think about these things. How amazing it is that you love us when we try to do our best to make a mess out of our life and the lives of people around us. How amazing it is that though we haven't always been faithful to you. Your goodness and love have pursued us and you're willing to buy us back even though you made us to be your sons and your daughters. You're willing to use us in your ministry. Father, thank you that each of us can put you first instead of being selfish. Each of us can take our God-given gifts and use them for the betterment of your kingdom and others around us. I pray today, as you've spoken, the ears have heard, the heart has heard, our future will be changed we will be the temples of your Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.